Good morning. Hi. Welcome. Glad you're with us this morning. Um, hey, Jason. I wish there was a longer. I was like, Jay, sin. That'd be your longest. That was it. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about uh, the passage in Matthew. I think it's in a few other places where uh, word of encouragement comes to those who are following Jesus um, uh, that may feel alone, that may feel stumped in their growth in their faith, um, and word of encouragement um, that calls us back into community is this, for where there's two or three are gathered, Jesus says, for I am with them. I'm with you. Where there's two or three, not to say he's not with us when there's one, because obviously he is, but the encouragement for us in community is wherever there are two or three are gathered, the Lord is with them, and he's working, and he's moving. That's why I love, I love this worship. I love what we're doing here. I love the fact that, that we can come together um, week after week, believing that truth, believing that invitation. Wherever there are two or three gathered, God is with them. We can keep going. That's the encouragement. It's been such a fun week for us as a church. Um, Thursday night, Thursday night, um, we had prayer and worship here. A number of you were, were with us, um, and it's really cool to see how God is is using that space and using that night as almost a tipping point for our church, where people are um, experiencing God in some profound ways. Uh, ministry is happening. The Lord is empowering people. There's incredible time of worship and prayer and prophecy happening. I just see growth there, um, and I see um, a move of God happening in that place that I think will pay dividends um, not e- not only into this space as we gather on Sundays, but into our groups. Into, into our family center ministry. It, it's really a place that I think the Lord's just breathing a fresh, a fresh wind in there. And so um, thanks for being involved. Keep a lookout on the next one. We're trying to figure out what December looks like. You know December, how it is, um, Christmas time and everything else. And so most likely uh, it won't be happening again until January, but, but we'll let you know. Um, another word about yesterday, we, it was amazing. It was a ball here. We had well over 200 people in this space yesterday. Um, uh, 53 families, which is at least 200 people. Um, and so it was, it was amazing. Talk about life. <laughs> Talk about the way that God is trusting this community to keep um, sending us more and more families, to keep uh, broadening our reach uh, in, in the city of Santa Ana, but not only that, throughout the county of Orange. Um, word is getting out about this space. Word is getting out about you and the way that you serve and the way that you give and the way you invest yourself into this community. And so thank you for that. Uh, um, and so uh, we're going to jump right in and we're going to, we're continuing. And this is week two um, of, a, of, a, of a conversation geared around Hebrews chapter 11. And so if you missed last week, of course, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was really the, uh, the, the, the framework, the groundwork of what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks. And we answered the question, what is faith? Um, and I think it's an important message because, again, it really does set the tone. And for us to have a, a proper understanding of the different characters that the author of Hebrews goes on to, to, to say, um, this is the kind of faith that pleased God. Um, his encouragement is to have that same kind of faith. But before we can, you know, actually step out and live in that kind of faith, we have to understand what faith is. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go back at some point this week and listen to that because I don't want you to be missed out on anything. I want you to. Um, it's like your part, understand where, where we're going as a community. And so I'd point you to that direction. But it's important for us to remember, as we step into the next five weeks, we're going to look at five key 
people. I don't want to say characters because I grew up thinking when I would be in church, like, oh, get a character of the Bible. I always like pictured, pictured them as like a not real kind of person, you know, like, um, and, and, and for us, it's important to remember that when we read about people in scripture, they are that they are real people. <laughs> they are people that like lived on this earth. They are people that had went through ups and downs. There are people that had mountaintop experiences. There, there are people that had um, seasons of great faith. And there are also people that had seasons of great doubt. But through it all, I, I love what the author of Hebrews says, um, which we say the author of Hebrews talked about this last week. We're not sure who it is. Uh, we don't know if it was a man. We don't know if it was a woman. Um, we're, not, we're not sure. There are speculations of who this person might be. But we do know this, this letter has a pastoral tone to it. And so a lot of people refer to it as a pastoral letter. Um, but what we do know about the author of Hebrews is that this person um, spent a lot of time with Jesus. A lot of their writings, a lot of their pastoral, pastoral letter is geared around a lot of things that Jesus said. It's the writing to Jesus followers, the writing to the church. And so uh, we, can, we can take what that person is writing, this pastor is writing, and know that this person had to spend a lot of time with Jesus. This person was deeply affected by the life and ministry of Jesus. And so um, that's why we can lean into this chapter. That's why we can lean into this book um, and, 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 and soak it up and let it challenge us, let it spur our faith on just as it did for this author. So I believe um, the reason why we're doing um, uh, this series, this conversation, is because I believe um, that God is building a faith muscle in this church. I've already seen it start happening. It's, it's been pretty cool the way to see that, that people's faith is really going to new heights. Um, and my prayer is that would continue to happen. That the, the limitations that we have placed on ourselves, um, the, the, the feeling like, man, our faith, my faith isn't growing. My, my, my prayer, um, not just through this six weeks or eight months, but that this would be a, a hallmark of your life. That we would begin to learn how to continue to push ourselves beyond that we learn how to actually walk through open doors and not keep bumping our heads up on the ceiling or, or feeling like we just don't know how to grow. But this would be a, a season of growth and maturity for you that will pay dividends into your life wherever the Lord takes you. And so I've already seen that happen. And, and the reason why uh, we're focusing on Hebrews 11 and why we're calling it Stories of Faith is because I believe stories build faith. Like this is how, this is how faith has been built in me over the last 24 years of following Jesus. Um, anytime I hear someone share their story, a testimony. Um, there's something that happens, right? That, that faith is being built. And that's the intent of Hebrews chapter 11. That's the intent that this pastor has here, is that we would read it, not that we would just go, oh, cool, or wow, it's really great to see that, or wow, that person had a weird story, but that we would read that story, and that would spur us on towards faith, that faith would be built as a result of, of that testimony, just as it would be a friend or a family member or a coworker coming to Jesus. Is that, are you tracking with me? And so I believe that God is building a faith muscle here. And uh, you know, I think he's calling us to be, be people who spend time with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And that, 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 that to me is what being a Jesus follower is all about, that we would spend time with Jesus, we'd become like Jesus, and we would do what Jesus did. This is the point of Reunion Church. This is where it all begins for us. And so my hope for you is that your faith would continue to grow and to mature and to encourage each of you and say, I've already, it's already, I'm already seeing it. It's already happening here. And it just gets me excited to see what else God might want to do um, in the future with your life. And, and, and really pointing to Hebrews chapter 12, which we won't get to in the next six weeks, but to accept the invitation that this author has when he says, okay, you've heard all these stories of faith. Now my, now my prayer for you and the invitation is that your eyes would then be fixed on Jesus. That's the invitation. 
that, 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 that's the result of our faith, that our eyes would constantly be gazed at Jesus. They would not depart. They'd be focused on him 24-7. That is my prayer for all of you. That is my prayer for this, for this community. So as a refresher from last week, I want to invite you to open up or scroll to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and uh, this is just a little bit of review, and then we're going to see where, who we're, who we're going to dive into, whose story we're going to dive into. It's probably already up there. Abel, you already know. Uh, who here has heard or knows the story of Abel? You know, who knows of Abel? Yeah, okay. That's, that's what's so fun about this next five weeks is we're not going to be focusing on the characters that you or the people that you know a lot about. We're not going to talk about Noah uh, because we're not going to talk about Gideon. Stories that are familiar. So we're actually going to lean into some stories that probably get overlooked. <laughs> people that you would like, okay, I've heard of their name in the Bible, but what? Like, what did, who were they? What did they do? What was so big deal about them? So Abel will be one of those. So to set us up, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, this is what this, is what, um, this pastor writes. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from the things that are not visible. By faith, here we go, Abel, he gets the, he's the first one. He gets, he gets the first shout out in this entire chapter, which is a pretty big deal. Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Found verse right there. Skipping down to verse six. Now without faith, this pastor writes, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So today we're going to look at Abel. We're going to look at his story, and we're going to ask the question, what is it about Abel's faith that pleased God so much for God to consider this man righteous? What was it about Abel's faith that God looked at and said, this this son of mine is righteous? And so flip or scroll to the beginning. We're going to go to his story, Genesis chapter 4, if you have your Bible. If not, it will be up on the screen. I've got your backs. Uh, I do encourage you to bring your Bible to church so you know I'm not lying. Um, <laughs> don't want to lie to you. I don't want you to think I'm lying to you. But one of these days I might. And so, huh? Don't lie? Maybe, maybe I'll be testing you. I, have I told you this? And when I was a high school pastor, I would oft, oft, like, often, maybe you put here, I'd be like, turn your Bible to Hezekiah chapter 13. And you would see people just going and looking for Hezekiah, and it's like, you know, it's not there. Then I was spoiled, but it's important. Bring your Bible. Someone might lie to you someday. You need to know what the Bible says. Uh, all that to say, uh, let's turn over Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 1. We'll be in verses 1 through 16. This is the story of Abel. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, obviously talking about Adam. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel uh, became a shepherd of flocks, and Cain worked on the ground as a farmer. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. 
Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother, this is immediately after the Lord is calling him out on his sin. He's calling him out on his heart. And so what does Cain do? First thing you can think of to do, verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated. Uh, for, you are cur- so you are cursed. Excuse me. Let me start verse 11 all over again. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become like a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, because the Lord is good all the time. In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So there's one major question that arises out of these 16 verses that I think is worth digging into, that I think is worth asking, that we can hopefully answer. And the question is this, what does Abel's faith teach us about God? Because that's, that's the question we should be asking from every single character in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, that's the question you should be asking anytime you read any portion of Scripture. It doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament. What does Abel's story of faith teach us about God? Side note here, it's important to remember that yes, this story is about Abel's faith. But like any story, um, anybody in the Bible and your personal story of faith as well, the main character of your faith story and Abel's faith story is not Abel or you. It's God. God is the main character. In any, anybody's faith story, and that might sound weird, and you're like thinking, well, my, my story is unique. Uh, my story is powerful. Yes, it is. You have a great faith story. But, you're, but the main character of your story and Abel's story is always God. It's kind of a weird tension that we sit in. Like For me, specifically, use that. I am just a supporting cast member in my own faith story. Like it was God that opened up my eyes to Jesus. It was God that transformed. It was God that got a hold of my heart, right? And I'm just a supporting cast member in my own story. And remember from last week, we talked about what true biblical faith is. True biblical faith always brings God glory by shining a light on Jesus. If you ever want to recognize phony faith, If you ever want to recognize weak faith, always look where the spotlight is being pointed. If the spotlight is being directed at a person, if the if if somebody on stage is standing up there and and you know preaches a message, a pastor, and everyone's like, "Wow, that pastor is really good," and there's no mention of God anywhere or Jesus anywhere, you know that's not true biblical faith, right? Faith that brings God glory always shines a light on Jesus, and that that's that's the kind of faith that we're after. That someone would look at your life. And they wouldn't be like, wow, Carly's amazing. Not that they wouldn't say that. But they would be like, wow, Carly, I see Jesus in you. 
Like you point me to Jesus. That's, that's the kind of faith we're after. So anytime we read someone's story in scripture, we always be looking, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus being magnified here? And that's true in the Old Testament. That's why the Old Testament's not boring to read. It's because it's shining a spotlight on the Messiah to come, Jesus. And then when the New Testament gets here, it's like this. That's why you sense this great anticipation getting through the minor prophets. And then Jesus shows up and the whole earth goes, ah, we've been waiting for you. All of, all of eternity, all of, all of history, rather, has been shining a light on you, and now you're finally here. Are you, are you following me? Are you with me on this? So in all the stories of Hebrews 11, and your story, and anybody's faith story of, through the you know, history of time, uh, the main character is always God. So what does Abel's story of faith teach us about God? Here's my answer. God cares more about the condition of your heart in sacrifice. It's important the way I worded that. God cares about the condition of my heart in sacrifice. This is true for you. This is true for me. This is true for anybody that seeks to follow Jesus. God cares more about the condition of my heart before I do anything for him. Before I do anything. Before I even get up in the morning when I'm dead asleep before we come out and serve at the family center, before I give my money away to the church, before I, whatever it is, before I pull over and help someone on the side that ran out of gas. Yes, God appreciates that, and that does ultimately bring God glory, but he cares more about my heart while I do that. Are you tracking with me? The health of my heart is God's number one priority for my life. And this is, this, I mean, Scripture talks a whole lot about this. Right? I, I'll just throw out four different verses for you. And there's a lot more I left out. Psalm 15, 1 through 2. So it'll say on the screen, this is what David said. David, who was known to be a man after God's own heart. If you know anything about David, again, you would look at him and you'd be like, oh, was this heart? Like, he looks like he had a pretty evil heart. But like, you're going to see what happens here, what God looks at. David said, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. You get a, you get a gold star today. He also wrote in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? In other words, who can, who can go into his presence? Who can stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure. Wow, you guys are awake here. Who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then the prophet Samuel declared, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible but the Lord sees the Thank you, Amy. Amy's back. <laughs> She's like, all right, I get this. <laughs> With authority. And then Jesus said to the religious bunch during the day, the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may be also Clean. Jesus is talking about the heart here. He's using um, a different kind of language to show and talking to a religious bunch of people that are quick to sacrifice, quick to serve, but have all the wrong motivations. Jesus says the condition of your heart matters to God more than anything we do in this world. Now, does this mean that my heart has to be pure and blameless before I can do anything or I have to not have sinned for a couple days 
And then since I haven't sinned for a couple days, now I'm worthy to go and serve. And I can actually, then my heart is clean. And because there's been like a little break and my faith is now all about sin management. That's not what I'm suggesting. This is not the way of Jesus, is it? Because if that was the case, well, I should just go home right now, right? Like I have no business even sitting here and holding this mic. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we have to go a certain amount of period or a certain amount of time without sinning so that we can then approach God and he'd be like, yeah, your heart's good now, so go ahead and serve. Or go ahead and offer that sacrifice. That's not what I'm suggesting. I am a sinner. I always will be, always have been. Thank God for Jesus who saved my soul. That's what, that's what God's looking for. There's someone that's like, I need you, God. He's not looking for people that just live perfectly. He's looking for someone that's quick to repent, quick to acknowledge their need for Jesus. Jesus will say, I'll ride with, I'll ride with you all day, opposed to someone who's trying to be perfect or someone's caught up in a religion that's all about sin management. And so what I'm suggesting from my best interpretation of Scripture and from this passage is that the condition of my heart matters while I serve a life of sacrifice, whatever word you want to place there. Um, I like the word serve because this is probably a little bit more easy to understand in our context. So instead of letting my service drive my faith in God, I need to stop believing the lie that my service is what pleases God. And I need to remember, and this is what the story of Abel's story of faith is all about, that the thing that pleases God more than anything else is the condition of my heart. And it's the condition of my heart that drives my service to him. Does that make sense? It's the inside that matters. And when the inside's right, or as uh, this author says, righteous, as God says righteous, it means right, then that drives my service to him. And so this means, friends, that I have to pay really good attention to the things I'm letting into my heart. Like a, whole, a lot of attention. <laughs> like I have to be focused on the things that I'm allowing to creep inside of my heart these could be addictions, bad habits, unhealthy patterns, secret lifestyles. The list of these big things can go on and on and on. Things that really do toxify. Is that a word, Chris? Toxify. Yes. It made sense in my head. Things that toxify my heart. Because it does. It really will happen. And all these things affect my heart in one way or another, which leads me into isolation, which is where the enemy does his best work in us that ultimately will affect my attitude and then my faith is weakened. But it all starts with what we let into our hearts. This is why scripture says, guard your heart. Like you picture like a wall around it, a barrier around your heart where, yeah, things are gonna come at me, but they, they won't get in because I'm guarding my heart and my mind in the ways of Christ Jesus. And so there's obvious things that can toxify our hearts, but there's also subtle things that can toxify our hearts. And this one might get an uproar in here right now. Things like the language I use, the thoughts I have, TV shows I watch, music I listen to, websites I go on, people I let influence my life. Those are subtle ways that, by the way, our culture will scream at you, those aren't a big deal that doesn't really get to you, that doesn't affect your faith, and we buy it, don't we? And I, I just, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch those shows, you shouldn't listen to that music. All I'm knowing is that's been true for me. There was a period in like, I think high school, where, <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, I'm not trying to be like 
Um, I don't know. I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, have this rigid faith to me, but I'm just trying to pay attention to my own life in this. There was this, there was a time like I struggled with anger issues as a kid and it's still something very real that I have to watch. And when my anger boils up, it's because I'm letting things in my heart take over that will lead to that, for example. So in high school, I was paying attention to that. I listened to a lot of Eminem. And you know what happened for someone that has some anger issues? When you listen to Eminem, you get a lot more angry. Like, especially in the car, if you're listening to Eminem, then all of a sudden, everyone becomes a target, right? And the things I start saying to people that I don't even know, or the things I start thinking about people, or just all around my attitude shifts. Because I'm letting something toxify my heart. Right, West? He's taking it all in right now. Daddy loves you. Oh. (laughs) I just want to caution you and say pay attention. Pay attention to it. Don't, Don't downplay it. Don't believe that the subtle things don't have an influence on your heart. Because I think they do. And I think our culturally, culture will easily try to downplay these things. And we have to be honest with ourselves and know that the Bible does speak of a war for our heart. And it's, my, it's become my experience that often the, the things that will often toxify my heart the quickest are actually the subtle things that, I, that I've stopped paying attention to. And so, uh, this is what Jesus said. He said, the things that you take in will come out. And then Paul goes on to say to the church of Philippians, he goes to expound on this teaching from Jesus, and he says, okay, guys and gals, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. In other words, let those things in habit your character let those things come inside of you let them fill you good things pure things honorable things that is how we pay attention to our heart is 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 as quickly as we are to let things that are toxic come in he says shun those things and be just as diligent and let the other things good things fill your hearts and we can be easily influenced and corrupted by things of this culture that culture has normalized is good. And I'm just saying, Jesus and a lot of other authors in Scripture are like, pay attention to those things. Don't just accept it because the world says it's good. Really pay attention to your heart. So God considered Abel's heart to be pure before him. Again, not just when things were good. Uh, again, health, wealth, prosperity. He didn't just look at Abel because he's like, oh, you're doing everything right. You've killed it at life, right? That's, that's, not the, that's not what's going on here. In fact, if you know anything, I think the, a lot of the context here in this passage, we mentioned Cain and Abel. Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve, the very first two humans. And so Cain and Abel were the very first two people to be born into this world. They're the very first two people to experience childbirth as we know it today. What an amazing thing, right? Um, and you guys have siblings here? think most of you yeah everyone here has i think everyone has siblings yes okay what do we know about siblings there's something very real about that it's called sibling rivalry right and and when you're reading the text here you could already feel it between cain and abel right cain has been this type of person that 
probably is the favorite between Adam and Eve. He's the firstborn son. What does the culture tell us back then? That the firstborn son was the treasured possession. They could do no wrong. They were the favorite. And in culture back then, who was the, the youngest son was overlooked. Story of David, right? When they're, when they're looking for a king, right? I think Samuel that comes along and says, okay, here are all the, we have anybody else? <laughs> oh, my youngest son, he's tending the sheep. He's dirty. You don't go over there. He's useless, right? And so this is, this is how culture would set itself up. It's not that way today. In fact, I, come, I have four older sisters, and I'm the favorite. I'm the youngest. A lot of times in our culture today, uh, the youngest is often, often the favorite, at least in my case it is. But what, what that creates um, is some sort of sibling rivalry, right? Like, oh, why don't your mom and dad treat you different than they treat me? And, and so we, we have that kind of spin in our natural reality, in our seen world. And the first thing that we notice in this passage is that Cain uh, assumed that this was how God operated as well. Since I'm the favorite here, I'm obviously God's favorite between me and my brother. And so he brought some, some assumptions into his relationship. And through the interaction where these two sacrifices are being brought to God, God shuns the one from Cain, which I bet you was surprising for Cain, and accepts the one from Abel. Again, God is not impressed. He is not motivated by birth order. He's not, he's not impressed. He does not go in line with the way that culture sees. He does things completely different. We already know from that interaction that God's looking at these sacrifices, both good, not one. This is all commentary I read. It wasn't because uh, Cain's sacrifice was worse or that Abel's was better. God saw both sacrifices offered to him and, and looked in the heart. Didn't even look at what was in the hands. Looked at the heart. That's what he cared about. And he accepted Abel's offering because of what was in his heart. So God considered Abel's heart to be pure before him. And so we, again, we have to pay attention to what we let in our hearts because our faith pays the price. Now, let's talk about Cain for a second. Is is sacrifice an important ingredient to faith? Not a trick question. Yes. Right? This is what James preached. Remember? Faith without deeds is dead. In other words, faith without service is dead. You can't just be someone that's like, yeah, I have great faith. Of course, there's an ingredient to service and to sacrifice with faith. But as I mentioned last week, there are many different kinds of faith in the world that promote some sort of self-sacrifice. I don't need to go on. Every religion um, has an element to sacrifice in it, has a way of service in it. It's pretty much all of them. But here's my point. Not all faith is anchored to Jesus and not all faith pleases God. Cain is the example of this to us. There are many different kinds of faith in the world that will promote all sorts of which. So we learn here that just because someone has faith doesn't mean that that faith is actually pleasing to God. Did you catch the significance of verse 16? After Cain offers the sacrifice, Jesus said, or God says, your, your heart, your heart, something's wrong. And then immediately after Jesus calls him out and says, calls him out on his heart, and he goes out and kills his brother right after that, verse 16 says this, then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It says he went out of the Lord's presence. It didn't say that the Lord went out of his or that he left 
in the presence of God, he, free, he chose his free will. He used his own authority to actually exit and leave the presence of God. This was his choice. This is where his heart was at. Even before he killed his brother, Jesus, God said, I see this in you, and he affirmed it. And then as he's in the day of Genesis, by the way, you see that a normal relationship with God actually meant walking and talking with God. This is how God meant our lives to be. This is, this is how he wanted things to be. He actually talked to people, had conversations with people. So Cain is talking to God face to face and still had the audacity to leave the presence of God. And we don't know any really more than that, other than I think that language is pretty important, that he left on his own free will. So here in this story, we have two brothers raised in the same household by the same parents, Adam and Eve. Both were hard workers. Both had skills. Both had faith. Both offered sacrifices. Only one had a pure heart. Only one offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Faith that pleases God is about the condition of your heart, not your sacrifices. And I think one of the greatest indicators of a person's faith that's anchored and rooted and founded in Jesus is always going to be the heart. Right? So when, when you're looking and you're looking at friends, you're like having relationships with people and you're like, I don't really know where that person stands or like, wow, I don't know if, you know, that person's faith is growing. How can I help that person? Uh, it's, scripture always says, go to the heart. This is what Jesus looks at. For those that will follow me, we'll be able to see those things. You'll be able to see the fruit. You'll be able to see where people's lives are heading. And so if my heart is rooted in Jesus, then my faith will always shine a spotlight on Jesus you will see Jesus through and in people's lives if they have a faith that is subscribed to Jesus. Does that make sense? And so this is how we move forward. It's not a religious act. My heart is a dead giveaway. And I, that's, that's really what my plea is to all of you and for me, is, is that our hearts would cry out for Jesus that we would not be focused on sin management. We wouldn't live in shame. We wouldn't live in guilt. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be so consumed with what we're doing wrong or what we're trying to do for God, but we would be pay extra and special attention to the things that we're letting in our hearts so that our lives may shine a spotlight on Jesus. Are you with me? That We're talking about faith. This is what the story of Abel is all about. This is why Abel is in the hall of faith. This is why God looked at him and said, this is a faith that pleases me. It's an example to all of us. My heart. If you, you, I mean, you don't have to worry if you're in right standings with God if you're repentant in front of him. You're acknowledging your need of Jesus. So here, here's my plea. Very simple. Pay close attention to what you let into your heart. Today, Monday morning, this week. Pay extra attention to what you're letting in. What you let in affects the level of your faith in God. Righteousness is the work Jesus is doing in my life. Righteousness is the work that Jesus is doing in your life. He is transforming you into the image of Jesus every single day. I don't want to be someone that self-sabotages that. I don't want to be someone that's undoing, for the lack of a better word, that's not a great theology, but for the, for the lack of a better word, undoing the righteousness, undoing the work that God's doing, there is an element that people have to self-sabotage in their faith. I don't want to work against God. I want to work with God. 
I want his work to reign supreme in my life. Are you, are you tracking? Does that make sense? Are you following me? So let's allow Jesus to do his work by being people who come before him with acknowledgement of, with humility and acknowledge that he is good, that he is loving, even when we get it wrong, even when we mess up. Sound good, Amir? Good. Well, that's all I've got. I hope, I hope that spoke to you. I hope that encourages you this week. That's my cue for the band. I was like, they're not coming. They're not coming up. But pay, I just want to keep it simple. I want to keep the call. Abel's faith is so simple. His story of faith is um, a great invitation for all of us. It's not this ultra lavish lifestyle where we all look at it. And we're like, ah, how I can't do that. Good for Abel, right? Like Noah built an ark. I can never build an ark. Like, Abel, Abel just, God looked at his heart and said, yes, here's a man that's paying close attention to what he lets in. And I, I believe the same thing could be true for you, regardless of where you sit today, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's ahead. All we have is right now. This is all we were promised in this very moment. We have plans. In fact, I, I've, tried, I've tried to work a little discipline in my life. Instead of being like, this, this is weird in certain things. I wouldn't say this to anybody. But like in my mind, anytime someone's like, hey, we meet next week. I was like, yeah, sure. And then in my mind, I'm always like, Lord willing. I don't, you know, like this, this is all we have. And so if this is all we have, then I can be extra um, intentional with, and with what I'm allowing to come in. And just, just be present here. And so we're going to continue in worship. And of course, we have communion up here which I would love to invite you into. Um, and so as we start, what better place um, as we get on this week paying, paying close attention to what we let in than just come to the table and as the author of he Hebrews says, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author, he's the perfecter. And this is, what, this is what communion is all about. It's not just bread, it's not just a juice box, right? There's more going on here and it's good juice. It's really, really high quality bread. But there's more. There's more going on here. When we come, when we come to the table, we're declaring our faith in Jesus. We're living with expectancy. We're pledging our allegiance to Him. And we're saying, I'm all yours. And this what a perfect place to set our hearts in the right, right spot moving forward out of this place. And so as we worship, the band will lead us in case you'll come up and wrap it up for us. But um, Make good use of this time. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to walk around, walk around. If you use the potty, use the potty. Whatever you need to do. But I uh, uh, hope this is a, a meaningful time for you. Sound good? All right, let me pray for you. Let's stand. Now, we uh, are thankful for this morning. We're thank you, thankful for stories. For the life of Abel, a man that lived a long time ago. But his story is still building faith today. And we thank you for that. I just can't help but think of the stories of those in the room this morning. The ways that you're working in their lives. Um, the ways that you want to use their faith story to build faith in others. And so Lord, I just ask that you will take whatever we can offer you, whatever we have to bring, and that you would accept our sacrifices because you look at our heart 
and you say, oh, that's my daughter, that's my son, and oh, their hearts are so right before me. They, 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 they want nothing other than Jesus. I pray that that would be true for all of us and that we wouldn't attain, strive for that, we wouldn't work to attain that, we would just come before you, hands and knees, arms up, in worship, recognizing our cry is for you, that we need you, that we can't do this without you, that without your presence, life is meaningless and hopeless. So would Jesus be lifted up in this place? And would you fill us with faith? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.